history nerds and historians. My name is Christina and this is F-Dub History. This is where we talk about a little something from history that's super fucked up. <laughs> Today is part two of the Salem witch trials. If you didn't listen to part one, go back and listen to it. It's heavy and there's a lot of death and a lot of sadness, but it talks about like all the events that lead up to this and it's 20 victims. If you don't listen to this, you will be very confused. So today we're going to talk about what happened afterwards, some of the events outside of the witch trials, maybe some of the theories as to what caused it or like, if not what caused it, like what fed into it. So without further ado, sit back, relax and practice your, oh good God, what the fuck faces? So when we spoke about the brief history of witchcraft, we talked about how there was this big boom that started in the 1590s, but a lot of the 1600s. We talked about King James, the sixth slash first. We talked about Matthew Hopkins. We talked about important pieces of literature like the Malleus Maleficarum, Demonology, Discovery of Witches. We talked about the North Berwick Witch Trials and the Pendle Witches. And then in another episode, we talked about the Connecticut Witch Trials. And then in the last episode, we talked about the few girls playing with divination and inviting the devil into Salem allegedly and then went into detail about all of the victims. We've also in other episodes talked a little bit about the Puritans and some of their beliefs and how extreme they were and about settlements in Salem. If none of this sounds familiar to you, go back a couple episodes. Um, If this does sound familiar, good job you did your homework. Gold stars for you, A+. I'm so proud of you. Okay, so to pick up where we left off, I originally had this next section of how the witch trials ended and some of the aftermath in the last episode, but taking like all the causes and then all of the victims and then going into all the politics was way too much for me. Uh, It was way and heavy on me and I didn't want it to be heavy on you. So (laughs) on September 22nd, 1692, we had the last executions, right? So in October, Thomas Brattle, who was a merchant, wrote a letter to an unknown recipient that criticized the witch trials and how they were handled, especially when it came to spectral evidence. And then This was like published and circulated and everyone was reading it. And four days later, Governor Phipps declared that there would be no more witchcraft trials in Salem. So it got like a lot of backlash after reading this letter. And it kind of like pissed everybody off that this was being allowed to like this was allowed to happen. So there were still some accusations like elsewhere outside of Salem, but nothing really came of it. Governor Phipps also declared that after this letter, there would be no more new publications about the trials. It would actually be illegal to write anything and publish it except for Cotton Mather, who was asked by the government to write something about everything that happened. And this is honestly really like one of the first cases in America of a government cover up and censorship. And Cotton Mather's book, The Wonders of the Invisible World, was like fucking propaganda that painted everything positively, even though some of his personal writings, it seems like he doesn't agree. 
During this time, Cotton Mather's father, Increase, also wrote a book called, this is a long one, so bear with me, Cases of Conscience Concerning Evil Spirits, Personating Men, Witchcrafts, Infallible Proofs of Guilt, and Such as Are Accused with That Crime, All Considering According to the Scriptures, History, Experience, and the Judgment of Many Learned Men, because he never heard of an editor. In uh, cases of conscious, he spoke against spectral evidence, uh, not because he thought that like the girls didn't actually see what they were seeing and he didn't think that they were lying, but more so he said that spectral evidence should be ruled out because if the devil was going to cause upheaval and turmoil, wouldn't he masquerade as innocent people? And like force you to condemn innocent people to death to not only claim their souls, but to also inadvertently damn yourself. And then to cause like a lot of lying to try and save yourself and self-preservation. So Increase Mathers said that it would be better for five witches to go free than one innocent person to be executed. And they were hypothetically 19 plus who were executed for it. So... Um, I do have to go on like a side quest for a second and say that I watched the show Salem when it first came out in 2014 before I really started doing a lot of research for myself about the history of witchcraft and I had a much different opinion on the Mathers watching that show than I do now because like in the show Cotton Mather was a good guy and Increase was kind of a villain and then you had like the witches that were sort of anti-heroes um the basically if you've never seen Salem like the whole premise of it is that um the Salem witch trials were caused by actual witches who were trying to bring about the end of the world and they had to make sacrifices and that the like Salem witch trial victims were all actually innocent people who were sacrificed to bring about the end of the world it was a really weird show kind of interesting first season was good second and third not so much you can just watch the first season and be done with it, honestly. Um, but again, Cotton Mather is in it a lot more than he would have been historically. He sort of takes on the role of like the head judge Stoughton. He takes on the role of a lot of the lesser judges. He also takes on the role of like George Burroughs. And then Increase Mather is this witch hunter extraordinaire. And he comes in and just causes upheaval. And he's this really bad guy. And you're not supposed to like him. Um, and like... My opinion is very different after actually researching this the past few years. Um, it's kind of just like a good good example of my love-hate relationship with historical fiction. Because when you learn about the actual history of what happened, it can be extremely different than what's perpetuated in the media. So just um, my soapbox to say, like, be careful of what you read and be careful of what you watch. <laughs> So on October 29th, 1692, the court of Oyer and Terminer was dissolved. And then the additional laws that were established over the next couple of months were already starting to make amends and change the penalties for witchcraft and allowed them to like have Christian burials and not just be thrown in an unmarked grave because we don't know where most of them are buried. They were thrown in a ditch by Proctor's Ledge and it said a lot of the families like stole the bodies back in the dead of night and buried them somewhere. We only know about Rebecca Nurse and George Jacob Sr., who were both buried at the Rebecca Nurse homestead over in Danvers. Giles Corey is buried somewhere in the Howard Street Cemetery in an unmarked grave, uh, which is where he was pressed. Um, And that's it. So the Salem Witch Memorial that is in the city of Salem sort of is like an unofficial grave marker for all of those people so that you can 
you know, pay your respects because we don't know where they were buried. And I don't think that that'll ever be something that we'll find. In January 1693, not even a year after this whole thing started, sexual evidence was determined to be inadmissible in court. Um, There's remaining people who were awaiting their trial are tried. Very few of them are found guilty. And those that are granted um, and those that are granted stays of execution. In May of 1693, Queen Mary in England, because we were still under England's rule at that time, gives instructions that they need to end everything having to do with witches. And then everyone who is remaining in jail is pardoned. But again, like we kind of talked about in the last episode, you had to pay your bill. So you were pardoned, but you couldn't leave unless your bill was paid. So some people still stayed in prison for being witches, even though they were not accused of witches because they were poor. So again, like class really feeds into everything. Even today, like history just repeats itself. Nothing is original. There are no original ideas. There are no original occurrences. In January of 1697, there is a day of fasting and prayer for the victims of the trials. And then Judge Samuel Sewell, who is part of the court of Oyer and Terminer, publicly apologizes for his role. Ten years later, the general court declares that the trials were actually illegal. In 1703, the courts stand the courts start to clear the names of some of the people who are convicted but not executed. In 1704, there are fears that New England has actually been cursed because of what they did. And there is a call from a lot of people to acknowledge that wrong that was done and to start paying restitution to the families and asking for their forgiveness. And in 1711, the general court passes a bill that restores the rights and good names to people who were accused and starts paying restitutions. But the entirety of the victims are not exonerated uh, until like 2001, literally 2000, literally like 20 years ago. Um, Bridget Bishop, Susanna Martin, Alice Parker, Wilmot Red, and Margaret Scott were finally cleared. But I actually just read an article last week that said that there were some people who were convicted of being witches but never executed who were never cleared because they, like, didn't have children um, and they didn't have anyone to fight for them. So there are still people in the Massachusetts records who died being convicted witches. In 1735, England passes the Witchcraft Act of 1735, which makes it a crime to claim and convict someone of being a witch. So that is officially the end of the Salem Witch Trials. Now, let's talk about some things that might have like led into it or maybe fed into it and some theories. So no one really knows for sure why the Salem Witch Trials started. It's something that's very contested among historians. So let's sort of like talk about some of those different theories. I have read Lyme disease, epilepsy, encephalitis, anxiety disorder, ergot poisoning, cold weather, family rivalries, religious hysteria, socioeconomic issues, boredom. Um, I think it could have been a variety of things, honestly. Um, with the girls, Betty Paris, Abigail Williams, Mercy Lewis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of people argue that they were bored. Charles Upham, who wrote about the trials in the 1800s, was a really big believer in this. He just sort of like chalked it up to a bunch of little girls and teenagers being bored and then getting high on the power. And I used to be one of them. I used to be like, these stupid little girls, all they wanted was attention and all they wanted was just to cause mayhem because they liked just being told that they were important and blah, 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 blah. And like, there's still a part of me 
that thinks that like boredom and desire for power when you're a young girl that is virtually powerless, like not only being a child, but being a female child. Um, they were like literally carted around Massachusetts when there were accusations in other towns. But I was reading an article for one of my classes, actually, and it kind of made me change my mind a little bit. It's from the book After the Fact, The Art of Historical Detection. I'll have the information for it in the description. But basically, the whole chapter talked about different historians and other experts speculating the causes of the witch trials. And one of them named Chadwick Hansen built a case for it being um, what some psychiatrists refer to as conversion hysteria. So this is when the unconscious takes over and the mental worries that the person has turns into physical symptoms like blindness and choking and fainting and pain and nerve issues. And it causes them to contort and writhe. And there's really like nothing physically wrong with these people. So if you were to examine them, you wouldn't be able to find a physical cause. And it makes sense that like some of these girls may have suffered from it. Maybe not all of them, but I feel like Betty Paris who was one of the first people to exhibit these symptoms. Um, She, I mean, she had many reasons to be anxious. Leading up to the witch trials, there was a lot of fear. A big thing that they were scared of during this time was actually just losing everything altogether. In 1684, King Charles II actually revoked the royal charter that Massachusetts had that allowed them to colonize there. And that happened because the Puritans were basing their laws on their religion, which wasn't something that the charter allowed, especially because in doing so, they were discriminating against the Church of England and sort of like shitting on them and saying that they were immoral and they were just going to do their own thing. There's actually like something that I read about this whole ceremony of like someone standing in the town square and ripping the cross out of the British flag because it was like sacrilegious and they were in a new land and they were going to stand for their own things. They weren't going to let England affect them anymore, but they were still a colony of England. So in 1691, the year before the trials, they were given a new charter that was anti-religious and it combined several of the colonies that had different beliefs. So these Puritans who came to America for freedom of religion were being oppressed or at least like thought they were being oppressed, afraid they were going to be. And so because of that, they thought they were losing control and it caused them to like grip onto it so much more. There was also fear of attack during this time. The indigenous people that lived in New England were a very mixed bunch. Some tribes were welcoming, like when we talked about like Squasatchum and the Namkeeg people, but a lot of them understandably were not. They were constantly under the risk of attack by people who knew the woods better than they ever could. I mean, we talked about it briefly last week, but George Burroughs was minister of a village that was decimated and Marcy Lewis was an orphan because she lost like both of her parents and her uncle during an attack from the Terran from the Wabanaki people. And also, like I mentioned in the last episode, Governor Phipps was focusing on this and he like could not be distracted to look into what was happening in Salem until it was brought to his attention very aggressively when there was sort of like a public outcry for it. Um, And then there was fear of the devil in this Puritan society. Um, You know, it isn't something that I've really read personally, to be fair. Um, But I have not read every book about the witch trials because there are 17 million of them. So um, I'm sure someone out there has made this point. But like, 
They were surrounded by indigenous pagans, which to the Puritans meant that they were surrounded by devil worshippers. There were actually tribes in the area who followed two gods. And one would have like very much resembled the Christian benevolent God. And the other was very similar to the devil because they believed that you needed duality. Like you couldn't have good without evil. You couldn't have beauty without ugly. So they sort of just like worshiped both of them the same. So to the Puritans, the devil was like literally all around them. There's was a religion that was like very fire and brimstone and it's better to be feared and loved when it comes to God. I mean, it's been almost 15 years and I still remember learning about the Puritans for the first time in like the 10th grade. And the quote from Richard Baxter that said, the road to hell is paved with the skulls of unbaptized babies, which I don't know why I always say that in a Southern accent, because like it would not have been in a Southern accent at all. But like uh, intermortality rate was so high during this time that like I'm working on a project with Quakers studying a specific family around this time and out of 10 children three survived to adulthood and one of them was sick like the entire time and to tell people that if they don't baptize their babies immediately that they risk like their tiny frail child to suffer in hell forever and come on and this was like a ta- uh, like a common type of sermon reverend samuel paris was the minister of salem village in 1689 and during this time like we talked about before in the last episode there was a lot of feuding between Salem Town and Salem Village. And in October 1691, there's documentation of Salem Village starting to turn on Reverend Paris and threatening to stop paying his salary, just like they did with everyone else. And in early 1692, he gave a sermon about Judas Iscariot, where he said, quote, as in our text, referring to John 6:10, there was one devil among the 12 disciples. So in our churches, God only knows how many devils there are. And apparently there were the devils in his own home because his daughter Betty and a few of the other girls in Salem Village started experiencing strange behavior in his home. And at the end of February 1692, Dr. William Griggs reportedly examined the girls, couldn't find any reasoning behind their witchcrafts and just like, insert last episode here. (laughs) Um, And then, like I said, the next day, Jonathan Corwin and John Hawthorne examined the women at the meeting house which is in danvers um now there's actually like a witch memorial right across from it that's in addition to the one that's in salem so when i say that like they examined the women um you know i mentioned in the last episode briefly that they would torture these people but the examinations were not great um at the best they were very violating. One of the first things that was usually done was examining the accused's bodies for witch teats or other like marks of the devil, which we would not look at like birthmarks or skin conditions like psoriasis or eczema or moles or skin tag. And to do these examinations would be very demeaning, especially if you're Puritan people who were like incredibly modest. And I'm saying people and not women because again, like men were also accused of being witches. I'm a feminist, but like I believe in history and like the true story that needs to be told most of them were women but there were still men so like at best it was demeaning and demoralizing 
And at worst, these people were tortured and thrown in jail for months where they couldn't even sit down comfortably, where conditions were so bad that people died awaiting their trial, like Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good's newborn. So bad that a child who was thrown into this jail was scarred for life and was never emotionally the same. So the witchcraft acts that were passed in England declared that witch trials weren't a church matter. It was a legal matter. And then like Bodies of Liberty that we talked about with Dorothy Talby made it an executable offense in the colonies because the witchcraft trials had like already ended in Europe, like or not in Europe necessarily, but in England, like we talked about. So the Bodies of Liberty made witchcraft executable here as well. But something that stands out that makes it different from the witch trials in Europe is that most of the people who are executed here in Salem claimed to be innocent and the people who claimed that they were guilty were not. So in Europe, if you confess to being a witch, like it was basically a death sentence. But like I briefly mentioned, the Puritans had a concept of forgiveness where if you confess to a crime, you you wouldn't be let off, but you would be given a lesser sentence. And that's probably why Samuel Wardwell admitted to being a witch because people who admitted weren't executed. And at this point, when Samuel Wardwell went in in August, like it had already been going on for like six months at this point. He knew the drill. So he just went in and he was like, yes, I'm a witch. I confess to it. And then like the smack of being like, okay, great. Thank you so much for confessing. Now you will be executed. But like nobody else was executed before him. That had to be so hard. But the problem with that as well is when you admitted to being a witch and you weren't executed, if you combine that with the Christian witch theory that said that there couldn't just be one witch in town, then that meant that when you confessed, you were then expected to implicate others. And you kind of just keep implicating like the same people who are already accused because the magistrates and the judges, they wanted more names. They wanted more people. Like they already knew about the people who were already convicted. They already knew about the people who were already sitting in jail, but they needed more because they wanted to exterminate witchcraft as well as they could. And it wasn't like people were just like admitting to admit. They were tortured and they were threatened and they were scared, not only for their lives, but the lives of everyone around them. When one person was accused and convicted, the next step was often family members, like we saw with Mary Eastie, like we saw with Rebecca Nurse, like we saw with John Proctor. Now, there are other theories as to the cause as well that include like land disputes and family feuds. Um, Paul Boyer and Stephen Nissenbaum speculated that it had something to do with like feuds between Salem Town and Salem Village, like this like East West Crips versus Bloods, like Sharks versus Jets sort of thing going on. And they plotted out the people who were accused and the people who defended them and then like the people who accused them. And they noticed a correlation between that, 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 you know, the people who were accused lived in one side of town, people who were the accusers were in another side of town. There are historians now that are arguing that that's kind of like grasping at straws and it doesn't explain people in Andover and Gloucester and Maine and, and elsewhere who were also accused and executed during the Salem Witch Trials. Now, one of the most 
popular theories is the theory by Linda Caporeal, who um, in 1976 published findings that speculated that it was from ergot poisoning, which is caused by a fungus that affects like mostly rye. So according to WebMD, ergot contains chemicals that reduce bleeding and cause the blood vessels to narrow. Folk remedies use ergot for a variety of afflictions for people who menstruate, like reducing bleeding during menstruation, menopause, miscarriage, and the placenta after birth. If you hear a little bell, that is my cat playing with its toy. It is not recommended to use this at all because it is very easy to take too much of ergot and poison yourself, which can manifest as Nausea, vomiting, muscle pain, weakness, numbness, itching, rapid heartbeat, slow heartbeat, hallucinations, paranoia, twitches and spasms, gangrene, vision problems, confusion, spasms, convulsions, unconsciousness, and death. It can also make you miscarry. It can make heart disease worse. If you have kidney disease or liver disease, your body cannot flush it out. So it's bad. But is it the cause of the Salem Witch Trials? I mean, some of the symptoms sound the same. Ergot poisoning will affect children more than adults, and children and teenagers were the ones who did most of the accusing. Um, Some people say yes. Other scientists and historians argue that this conclusion comes from cherry-picking data. A lot of historians don't think that it actually holds water. For example, if the rye was harvested in the summer and was infected, why did it take until December to start seeing any symptoms? In other countries that have seen ergot poisoning epidemics... It starts in the summer. Uh, Her paper also speculates a lot, like saying things like, Reverend Paris was probably given some of this wheat and this person probably stayed with his family. Um, Nicholas P. Spanos and Jack Gottlieb argued that ergot poisoning often occurs in populations where there is a vitamin A deficiency, which there wouldn't have really been in Salem because of all the fish that they consumed. And if it was ergot poisoning, they would have seen more livestock die. And... The thing that convinced me the most that it wasn't ergot poisoning, because it's the most popular theory, um, is that a lot of these afflicted people were cured when they read the scripture. So that, to me, says it is psychosomatic and not physiological. So, um, you know, it kind of is like like the vaccines cause autism argument, you know, like cherry pick data that looks specifically for things that backed up the theory and then left others out. I'm not a scientist. (laughs) I can't fully speak of my opinion on it, but I've like read research that other people have done and, um, you know, sort of formulated my opinion on it. Um, Opinion refuting it is more convincing to me than the argument that supports ergot poisoning. But again, shrug, we don't really know what caused it. So if you want one specific answer as to the cause, I'm afraid to say that there isn't one at this time. Um, People like me, are reading things and trying to find new information and there is still new information to be found. I mean, within the last five years, they discovered that the victims of the witch trials were not actually executed at Gallows Hill like they thought. They read records and land surveys and discovered that it's actually an area that's now behind a Walgreens and now there's a monument there. Um, If you heard another theory about the Salem witch trials, let me know. I know I forgot some of them, but these are like the major ones I wanted to make sure that we talked about um, kind of off like the top of my head. So I'd be happy to look into more if you can think of any that I forgot. So that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard and want to hear more, please consider subscribing or leaving a review or join our new Patreon at patreon.com slash fdephistory. 
again, like no obligation to join. I will continue to provide these podcasts regardless. But if you do want to join, you can enjoy early access to episodes, access to my scripts, fast tracking your recommendations, and more. And also, if you find yourself in Salem, I'd love to meet you because I am officially official when it comes to tours. Like I said last week, you can find me at whimsicalwitchma.com. So it's like Whimsical Witch, Massachusetts, like Whimsical Witch M as in Mary A. If you have any stories from history or mythology that you'd like to hear me talk about, please reach out. I'm always looking for more ideas, especially once these Salem series is over. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, So if you have any recommendations that you'd like to hear me talk about, please let me know. And remember, friends, history may be watching you. So don't fuck it up.